0: friends we are going to go to the book of first peter we're going to sit in the fourth chapter this morning i'm going to preach a message i'm calling the blueprint of heaven and as a church as a particularly as a leadership we've been looking at what is it that one god is calling us to do we 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 know our vision our vision as a church is to see jesus glorified lives transformed Hope revealed. Beautiful. We want that to just flow off the tongue. The mission is the means through which we achieve the vision. So, if our vision is Jesus glorified, lives transformed, hope revealed, then our mission, the way that we're going to see that happen, is to develop and equip passionate disciples who love, or passionate disciples of Jesus, who love God, love people, and boldly share the gospel. My hope is that you wouldn't just be able to have the vision roll off your tongue, but the mission roll off your tongue as well the core value is that this is a part of our dna this is a part of who we are this is how we go about doing what it is that god has called us to do to make disciples that we want to be a disciple making community um and i should say firstly for those of you who don't know who i am i'm dave uh <laughs> great to to be here with you um I spend a lot of my time at Verdun, but you recently voted me in as senior pastor. So now I get to spend more time here, which is so exciting to be with our whole church family a little bit more. So let's read this, then we'll pray, then we'll get stuck in the Word. First Peter chapter 4, starting in verse 7, says this, The end of all things is near. The end of all things is near. You know, the reason we're, we're landing in this text is because as a part of going through as a church leadership, our vision and our mission and going, what is the blueprint of heaven? How do we make disciples? What do disciples look like? How should we roll? And the Lord has laid this passage on my heart and and it just ties in so beautifully with some of the stuff we've been talking about at Verdun as well with some of these. We've been doing some tough questions over there around what do we do if the end of the world comes? And And really, God has laid this blueprint of heaven upon our hearts. This is the blueprint of heaven. This is what God has called us to do. So it says, The end of all things is near. So even if it is the end of the world, therefore be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling we thank you that your word is powerful we thank you that your word is truth we thank you that your word is a two-edged sword able to penetrate dividing soul and spirit joint and marrow and we pray this morning that your word would do what only your word can do which would bring that transformation which would bring that renewal lord i feel to pray if anyone here is wrestling with the spirit of fear this morning that in the transformation of their mind as your word takes root that that spirit of fear would be filled Uh, transformed into a spirit of faith, Lord God, that you would stir us toward love and good deeds, that you would empower us and inspire us, Lord, for your glory, that no one would leave here thinking, gee, that was a good word and then just everything goes back to normal. No, that we would leave here changed, that we would leave here with tools necessary to go and be your hands and feet in the world. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus and all God's children said, amen. Many, many years ago, I went on a road trip with uh, three other lads, and this is before Google Maps was a thing. So, for some of you, in fact, probably many of you in this room, you're like, Dave, that's nothing new to me. I was well here before Google Maps, but some of you are like, Google Maps, what? That didn't exist at one point in time? But before Google Maps, and we were going to Melbourne, there was four of us. And we thought, you know, we're going there for a conference. It was this great time, but we needed a map. So we had this map in our hands uh, and it was every sort of hour or two, we'd just remind ourselves, all right, when we get to here, where are we going? What what, what street are we taking? And it was always when we get to this point, this intersection, it's a big intersection, we go left. All right, boys, so we get there, we're going left. We're going left. So we've got to be in the left-hand lane. We've got to be ready to turn left. And so we just kept reminding ourselves the whole way along. And then as we got closer and closer to Melbourne, it goes from kind of one lane to two lane to three lane to four lane. Then all of a sudden we're in this boat where there's like seven lanes. There's cars everywhere. There's noise everywhere. And we see this massive big green sign up and it said, Melbourne, right. (laughs) And so my mate who's driving sees that sign. Now we've had seven hours where we're saying, Turn left turn left, turn left. And he sees that sign. He goes, oh, boys. He goes, what do we do? And the guys in the back seat just start saying, oh, quick, get the map out. Another one goes, no, no, it says right. You've got to go right. We're like, no, but the map says go left. And he's like, one of them's going, turn right. Jeremy's in the front seat. Go, where do I go? He's in the left-hand lane. There's cars everywhere. There's noise. There's you know, hooting and tooting and all this sort of gear. And I'm like, I think we need to go left. The map said go left. And Jeremy in the front seat goes, I'm going right, boys. Puts the indicator on, just starts like going through seven lanes of traffic. Everyone's, you know, hurling abuse through their horns of the car, annoyed that we're doing it. We end up, we manage to get just across to the right-hand lane just to follow that sign just in time. And as we screech through the, you know, hurling down right, we see a sign that says Geelong x kilometers like why did we go right for seven hours it was turn left turn left turn left and one sign and chaos in the streets causes us to go the opposite direction of where we were supposed to go and i think about that and i think how similar is that to life and faith where so often we're like, we've got this blueprint, we know what we're called to do, we know what we're supposed to do. God has put something, implanted a vision upon our hearts. But so often all it takes is the big sign of culture and the noise of the world around us and it causes us to lose sight of the map and look to everything around us and go, oh, we're going right. We call it missional drift. Before we know it, We're going to Geelong when we're supposed to be going to Jesus' version of Melbourne. No one wants to go to Melbourne at the moment. We're going to go where God's calling us to go. And we believe that God is calling us to be a disciple-making church. We believe that to see His name glorified, to see lives transformed, to see hope revealed, we make disciples. How do we make disciples? How do we, in the noise of our world, and friends, the world's noisy, isn't it right now? There is a lot of noise. There is a lot of distraction. There are a lot of voices telling us, go here, do this, act this way. This is what you're supposed to do. You should stand for this. You should definitely not stand for this. There is so much noise, and there are signs pointing every which way. How do we know where to go? How do we avoid ending up down that path or that path or that path? How do we? follow the call of God and it must be that we follow the blueprint of heaven. It must be that we follow the map that God has given to us and given to the church from the beginning of the church to sustain the church through every season. Because guess what? These times are not surprising God. Everything we're facing It hasn't confounded God. He's not like, gee whiz, I did not see that coming. (laughs) Can you believe that? Can you believe that, Gabriel? Didn't see coronavirus coming. You know? None of it's confounded God. And he has given us a blueprint. So the church is going to go through all sorts of stuff. The church is going to suffer Nero. It's going to suffer Domitian. It's going to suffer the Crusades. It's going to, the church is going to go through all sorts of ups and downs. There are going to be people who claim to be Christian who are going to be leading the church in the complete other way to the way of Christ. There, are going to, like, there is going to be turmoil through the life of the church. It's been the end times for 2,000 years. Jesus is coming back. It's the only thing in salvation history yet to happen, that Jesus will come back for his bride. He's just waiting for the church to get on and be the church. Not to live in fear, but to live by faith. It says he is not long, but he is patient. He's patient. He's waiting for us to follow the blueprint by the power of his spirit, empowering us to live out this blueprint. And so he's like, come on, I've given it to you, get on. So what is that blueprint? That's what I want to speak about this morning. What is the blueprint of heaven for the church, for us here today? And so as we come to this glorious text in 1 Peter, writing at a time when Nero is getting Christians, impaling them on poles, covering them in tar, lighting them on fire and using them as street lamps. That's the context do you think they thought it was the end times? Do you think they were stressed? Do you think they were fearful? Do you think there were signs left, right and centre telling them to go all sorts of ways? And Peter in the midst of this, writes to them and says, this is a word for the church for all times. This is the blueprint. This is how you make disciples. This is what followers of Jesus look like. Number one, he says, pray soberly. Everyone say soberly. Verse 7 The end of all things is near, therefore be alert and of sober mind, so that you may pray. We are called to pray soberly. It doesn't say pray somberly. It says pray soberly. There's a very big difference between being sober and somber. There is a time for weeping, there is a time for mourning, but there is also great cause for rejoicing. And the church should be the body of that is filled with joy in all seasons. Far too many Christians are just downtrodden and disheartened and you don't want to be around them because as soon as you walk into their presence, you think, oh goodness, they're just tearing me down all the time. That's not what the church should be. That's not what a Christian should look like. A Christian should be someone who people, when they're in your presence, are filled with joy. There's something about us that is like captivating. Like, man, that person's got a zest in their step it's like lime in a drink you know like that's good you know that's what a christian should look like in the world it talks about salt and light there's supposed to be something about us we should have this joy that pervades through all seasons it doesn't mean that we always have to be happy there's a difference between joy and happy sometimes you can be sad but still have joy because joy is an inner thing and happiness is an outward thing And so we're called to have joy. We're called to be sober. Sober simply means to be of right mind. It means to not be drunk on the ways and the wiles of the world. It means to be uh, a people who are filled with Christ, that we would be drunk on the Holy Spirit, not drunk on the intoxication of the. You talk about the spirit of Babylon, which is, come against the, the church for two, well for thousands of years, which is this idea of power, wealth, and fame. And when we're living in the world that we're living in at the moment, what is the drug of this age? Power, wealth, fame. I want power. I want wealth. That is what, that is what the world is throwing down our throats, especially the next generation. Our teenagers right now, which spend their entire waking moment like this, And what are they on? They're on this social media platform which has a news feed and a news feed which is just a targeted thing that's constantly saying you want power, you want wealth, you want fame, you want to look like this, you've got to act like this, you've got to be like this. And it's a drug that's intoxicating the world and the church is called to be apart from that, to not be drunk on the things of this world, to be of sober mind, filled with the Spirit. Drunk on the spirit. Not, that doesn't mean that we're always laughing and dancing. No, it just means that we're like, our eyes are on him, our hearts are on him. He's the one who has captivated us. And we realize just how ridiculous all that stuff is. Why? Because the end of all things is near. None of this is going to last. You know, all the, the, what's going to happen to wealth? It's going to be passed on to another person. <laughs> What's going to happen to fame? It's gone tomorrow. What's going to happen to power? That's going to go too. That's what's happened through all of human history. All of these things are just fanciful. Like none of them are, are real. None of them are eternal. None of them will last. But what will last is the kingdom of God. And the church needs to be alert to that. We need to have a sober mind. Why? So that we will pray. When we have a sober mind, when we have a, a eyes that are aware, a mind that is aware, that is alert to what is happening in the world and to the distractions of the world, with eyes that are on the map, when the green sign says, go right, instead of being drawn right because of all the noise, no, the sober mind says, no, no, no. I know I've got to go left. And that's where we're going. Even if it is contrary to the ways of the world. Now, the church is called to be countercultural, isn't it? Yes. We need to be alert to what is happening in culture, aware of what is happening in culture, but we are called to be countercultural. There is so much talk at the moment about left and right. You know, oh, you're a right wing this, or you're a left wing this. No, the church isn't left or right, it's up. It's countercultural. To the right wing folk, we look left wing. To the left-wing folk, we look right-wing because we're counter, because we're holding fast to the kingdom of God. We are alert and of sober mind, and it will cause us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, because we know that our world needs a saviour. We are aware that the world we live in is broken, even all Allgate. Even the Adelaide Hills, in all its comforts, in all its, you know, we walk two minutes and we're at the shops, we can get whatever we need. We've got this beautiful creation and outlook around us. People have their homes, their mortgages paid off. It's still broken. Mental health at an all time high. People need Jesus. The world needs healing and the church must hold fast to that with a sober mind. Amen. And it will cause us to pray. One, pray soberly, not somberly, soberly. In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to Him. And then, you you know, it talks about being transformed by the renewing of your mind. You know, uh, let me throw some scripture at you. First Peter 1, through 8-9, same letter, first chapter. Though you have not seen Him, talking of Jesus, you love Him. And even though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Understanding we live for an eternal kingdom. Yeah? Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. That's Luke 21. Isaiah 40. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. There is an eternal kingdom that we are called to, that we would pray, that we would be of sober mind. I just feel like there's people here, people in this room that need to stop going to the perceptions of Pastor Google and start going to the promises of a providential God. Stop listening to newsfeeds. Start going to the promises of God. Pray soberly. Number two, we are called to love sacrificially. Verse eight, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Above all, he says. So be alert and of sober mind and pray. Above all, above everything else, what should we do? Love. Love others. That's that's that famous Greek word. Everyone say it, agape. Or as Thea Hennessy would say to me in her proper Greek, she'd be like, I can't even say it. how she's, agape. This agape love, sacrificial love, the dying of self for the betterment of our beloved. And here's the thing. The language in the New Testament refers to the church, the body of believers as the beloved? Not many of you would look to your left, or maybe you do on your left or your right, because it might be genuinely your beloved. Not many of you look behind or in front of you right now and would call that person beloved. We might call them brother, because that's a good Christian word to use, or sister. Do we see each other as the beloved? The beloved of God and the beloved within the church, that we would genuinely love one another. You know, this reminds me of um, Genesis 9. There's this awesome story, Genesis 9 of Noah and his kids. And Noah, in Genesis chapter 9, gets drunk. Again, which is a picture of, it's a picture of sin. It's a picture of buying into the things of this world. And so he gets drunk. And when he gets drunk, he then lies down naked in his tent, which is a picture of shame, a picture of guilt, a picture of wrongdoing. And something happens. His son, Ham, comes into the tent and he sees his father's nakedness and he does something. Instead of loving his father, he comes back out of the tent. And what does he do? He talks to his brothers. He tells them what's happened. That's a picture of gossip. How often in the church... Do we, under the guise of a prayer meeting, gossip and start to, oh, you know, we need to pray for Sister Felicity. Sorry, I'm just going to pick at you because I saw you. Because, you know, she's really struggling at the moment with this and has done this and I just say that confidentially because we just need to pray for it. That's not love. That's not a picture of love. No, 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 the picture of love is what Shem and Japheth do. Because Shem and Japheth, on hearing of their father's nakedness, they don't even walk in the tent in a way that their eyes can see. They go backwards and they take a rug and they walk in the tent like this and they cover their father's nakedness and they come out. And when Noah wakes up and he finds out what's happened, he curses Ham and he blesses Shem and Japheth. That is a picture of love. That is what love does. It covers a multitude of sins. The Greek word is calypto, Everyone say calypto. And it literally, it, it means to make as if it wasn't there. It doesn't mean, and this is where the church has got it wrong, it doesn't mean sweep it under the rug and pretend like it wasn't there. It means to take responsibility for and make it as if it wasn't there. This is what Jesus has done for the church on the cross, friends where he has covered our sin. He hasn't swept it under the rug. No, he bore a price for it. And this is, as the church, what we are supposed to do one to another. We are supposed to love one another, taking responsibility for one another, genuinely engaging one another, listening to one another, not writing each other off. No, no, no. We're like, I love you. And because I love you, I'm here to help you. I'm here to work this through with you. I'm going to cover you. What would it look like if the church truly embraced covering love, recognising that I have been covered by Christ. I've been forgiven much, so I'm going to love much because of what he has done. This is what the church is called to. I'm convinced That in our world right now, what we need is less Facebook confrontations and more face-to-face conversations. So many people getting on there with their little firing off. Everyone's like strong statement after strong statement after strong statement. And what's happening is division and a tearing apart. That is not the bride that Christ is coming back for. He's coming back back for a unified bride, the church, a unified bride. And the way that we get unity is not by attacking one another, trying to prove each other wrong with our intellect. It's by listening to one another, hearing one another, sharing life with one another and having conversations. And as I invite someone over to my house, as I invite someone into my life to genuinely understand their position, whether it be premillennial, postmillennial, amillennial, whether it be egalitarian or complementarian or whatever it is whether you're a hand clapper a hand lapper well I don't know whatever it is instead of it dividing us it can unite us because that's what love will do love will cover a multitude of sins and that that requires sacrifice love will cost you something it will We have to be prepared for that because that's what love is. We are called to love sacrificially. Number three. So one, we're going to pray soberly. Number two, we're going to love sacrificially. Number three, we're going to welcome strangers joyfully. Verse nine, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. The Greek word, hospitality in the Greek literally means friend of stranger. Friend of stranger. Hospitality is not inviting your best maid over after you've spent three hours cleaning the house, after you've had time to prepare a three-course meal when they come in and everything's easy and everything looks good. That is not hospitality. You should keep doing it. <laughs> it's called being friends and that's Okay. I'm not saying don't be friends. Do that. Hospitality is different. Hospitality is welcoming a stranger. It's when the house is a mess, when the wardrobe's become a floor (laughs) drobe, when all you've got is eggs on toast, when the bank balance is low, but someone in need comes into your presence. Hospitality is saying, I got you. I grew up in this, I had, I had parents, like I remember where we had people just constantly at our house all the time, it, they're both introverts, I still don't get it, but there was just this, you're welcome, you're welcome, you're welcome, they didn't know anyone of those people, that was just me and my sisters and my brother just bringing people over and mum and dad would constantly say you're welcome in our house, to the point where there were people who came and spent weeks with us. People in need would just come and mum and dad would be like, there's a bed, you can sleep there however long you need. they, They embodied hospitality and there's something about that, isn't there? There's something about the witness that that brings to the world. There's something about welcoming a stranger that truly displays the character of God. That's what the church is about, amen? That's what we're called to. To welcome strangers joyfully. It says without grumbling. It says to do it joyfully. You know, Jesus in Hebrews 12, it says, for the, the joy set before Him. Isn't that interesting? It doesn't say for the turmoil set before Him or the grievance set before Him or the frustration set before Him. It says for the joy set before Him, He endured the cross, scorning its shame. The joy being to welcome us into His family. His joy was to welcome strangers, sinners, you and me, into his family. Jesus was hospitable to us. So we could be hospitable to others. So let's welcome strangers joyfully. Number four, serve faithfully. Everyone say, serve faithfully. Verse 10 each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful someone say faithful steward come on you got to say faithful. faithful stewards of God's grace in its various form each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's God's grace in its various forms all right I'm on a mission church for us to change our language Because the language we use in the West is that I go to church, I go to Hills Baptist Orgay, I go to Hills Baptist Verdun. That doesn't make any sense. Because the church is not a building, it's not an event. The church is a body of believers. The church is a is a people. You can't go to a people. We are the church. We gather as the church at Hills Baptist Allgate. But we are the church of Jesus Christ. I want us to start saying, not that I go to this church. No, no, I gather with the church. I gather with the church. We are the church. And because we are the church, then you have been given gifts. You have been given abilities for the purpose of growing the kingdom of God and advancing the kingdom of God. Each person here is uniquely gifted, equipped, equipped, And called for the service of the kingdom of God. You are the church. You don't bring people to church. The church is brought to people in every area of life. Church doesn't happen just on a Sunday. The gathering of the church happens on a Sunday. But the church is wherever you are. Because you are the church. Amen? And once we catch that, and realize, hey, we're the church. I'm the church. You're the church. We together are the church. Then wherever we go, we have a a kingdom mentality that we would bring the kingdom of God into every conversation, every situation, whether it's knitting club or the footy club or the chess club, I don't know, whatever club you're a part of, whatever group you're a part of, whatever mum's group you're a part of, you are the church in that place. And it shifts our mindset, doesn't it? That we would see ourselves as the church. Friends, there's this beautiful passage. For you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to sit at Allgate Baptist listening to sermons. Hang on, it doesn't say that. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Serve faithfully. How many of you believe that you have a gift that you can use for the kingdom of God? If you don't believe that, you do. Don't listen to the lies of culture or society that you can only be used by God if you can sing in tune or can preach from a microphone. God wants to grow his kingdom and he saw you before the beginning of time. He has placed you right here in this moment, in this day for the purpose of allowing him to use you to proclaim the good news of the gospel. And whether that is serving within these walls or whether it's serving outside of these walls, when you see yourself as the church, whatever in your vocation, whether you're a doctor, whether you're a nurse, whether you're a teacher, whether you're a boilermaker, whatever it is, you are the church in that space and God is calling you to serve faithfully, steward the gift of God faithfully for His kingdom and His glory. And He will build His church, friends. He will build His church as we offer that faithful gift to him amen number five number five and band you can come up the last point i want to bring us out of this text is that we are called to speak truthfully so we we pray soberly we love sacrificially we welcome strangers joyfully we serve faithfully and number five we speak truthfully Speak truthfully. Verse 11. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. I love the ESV. It talks about the oracles of God. Friends, we have been given the word. The word is truth. We are called to be a people who proclaim truth, both by the stuff that comes out of our mouth and by the stuff that's revealed in our lives, to proclaim the oracles of God, that we would be a church not distracted by the big green sign saying, go this way, not distracted by all the noise around us, causing stress and discontentment and confusion, but being guided by the Word, Knowing that His Word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, yeah? And because His Word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, we can walk faithfully. See, His Word is the thing that enables us to pray soberly. His Word is the thing that enables us to love sacrificially. His Word is the thing that enables us to welcome strangers joyfully. His Word is the thing that enables us to serve faithfully because His Word is truth gets in our hearts the word reminds us of who we are the spirit intercedes the spirit of god takes this and and makes it real and then leads us and guides us out of that place but we need the truth in us if all we're doing is listening to the noise we won't know where to go but when we're settled on the word when the truth is in us The noise fades and we begin to walk as God is calling us to walk. We begin to speak the oracles of God. I'm so captivated and have been for the last, I don't know how many years, by 2 Timothy. Paul's letter to to Timothy, the second letter, the last thing he ever wrote. The last thing he ever penned before he was beheaded. There's this beautiful moment in chapter 4 where Paul, after being, you Timothy, you Timothy, you Timothy do this, do this. He comes to this point where he reflects on his own life and he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. He's like, I've come to the end of my journey and I've been faithful because God has held me. I've stewarded the gifts that God has given me. I've prayed so I've done these things. Now, Timothy, it's your turn. And what does he say? Preach the word. Preach the word, Timothy. Speak the oracles of God. Let that shape everything you do and everything the church does. Preach the word. Don't bend truth for the sake of culture. Don't bend truth for the sake of being politically correct. No, preach the word. Live by truth. We are to be a truthful people. We are to speak truthfully. Knowing that the word of God is the two-edged sword. Word of God has power to transform. If we want to see Jesus glorified and lives transformed and hope revealed, the hope is in the good news of the gospel, so we proclaim it powerfully. and God will move. What does all of this lead to? He then repeats himself in verse 11. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things... God may be praised through Jesus Christ to him be the glory and the power forever and ever Amen. my heart is that in everything we do to him would be the glory forever and ever Amen. that God would be praised through Jesus Christ and if we long for Jesus to be glorified lives to be transformed and hope to be revealed then we need to be a people Love sacrificially, who welcome strangers joyfully, who serve faithfully, who speak truthfully, because in doing these things, God will be praised through Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. That's the blueprint of heaven. It's not It wasn't complicated on the map to turn left. We'd known it for seven hours. But the moment you hit this crisis point, confusion abounds and so easily led the wrong way. Let's be a people centered on these things that we would not be distracted. I want to offer that opportunity. Now, whether that's at the back or whether you feel like coming forward, but really for people who are sensing and feeling that confusion, that are feeling a bit overwhelmed by the green signs and the traffic that's going on around us in our world at the moment, that maybe there's a spirit of fear. And we're going to sing a song I'm no longer a slave to fear, but I'm a child of God. We're going to proclaim the truth. If there's anyone here this morning who just wants to be encouraged, Love to invite you to come and get prayer. We've got a prayer team. People would love to pray with you and encourage you. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. Prayer is powerful, it's powerful and effective. So be encouraged this morning. God is building His church. You are the church. And He empowers His church and has not left us without direction. So stand to your feet.